is Faith Revisited. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ben. I'm the senior pastor at Historic Trinity Church in downtown Savannah. I'm passionate about following Jesus, loving my family, enjoying all sports involving a ball, and a constant pursuit to find the perfect bottle of bourbon. And I'm Molly, a Methodist from the West Coast, but after moving to Savannah a few years ago, I found a home in Trinity and a friend of Ben's. My greatest joy in life is simply sitting on the front porch with my husband, my crazy dog, and a great bottle of red wine. On Faith Revisited, we'll talk about our own church as we're constantly trying to adapt to an ever-changing world as a downtown historic church. We'll talk about United Methodist Matters as our denomination faces an exciting and uncertain future. We'll explore church leadership in the 21st century. And we'll talk to different faith leaders about their perspectives of religion today, how we can be more authentic, stop alienating people, and how faith is more important than ever to connect us to God and each other. Hey, maybe we'll touch on a topic that speaks to exactly where you are in your faith. We won't know until we try, right? Let's do it. Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Revisited podcast. We're here this week with a very special interview, a friend of Ben's that just released a new book. Why don't you go into who you interviewed? Yeah, so we interviewed my good friend, Ann Bosarge, and you'll hear more about her dual job. She works for one of our big church plants uh, here in the South Georgia Annual Conference of Methodist Church, but she also does a lot of consulting work. So she works for the conference and she meets with local churches, and she's just written a wonderful book called Get Out of That Box. Um, and it's a book for local churches to discover new potential, to to help unleash ideas and new possibilities and, and really get local churches talking about what it means to be innovative and, and try new things. So uh, get out of that box and, and we're going to put links in show notes and, and Ann promotes it in there, but you'll get a good feel for how wonderful that book is. Yes. I love the discussion. I just finished listening to the interview you did with her. And there are two things that really stuck out to me that I want to let our listeners know ahead of time. And one of them is, I think this goes into her book as well, but mindset is everything. She says, God uses limitations to force us to get creative. So when churches feel stuck, and there's a lot about like, well, there's a lot of talk about change in this podcast interview. And she talks about how God puts limitations there for a reason. Like we need to get creative of how we're going to grow and expand and reach new people. Yeah. One of the things that she does not talk about in the in the interview, but one of my favorite stories. So the church plant she works with, um, the chapel ministries in Brunswick, Georgia, uh, the lead pastor, Jay Hansen and I are really good friends. And, and what she's touching on is a culture that they have that, that whereas a lot of churches say, we want to do new things. Let's find new money to fund it at the chapel. They say, you want to do new things. Let's make your budget as small as possible. So your creativity can expand. Yeah. They, they are real penny pinching and, you know, kind of picky about, but, but, but it's because we, we all wish we had all the money in the world. Correct. But creativity doesn't always need money. It needs creativity. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then the other point I really, really loved because this is kind of my whole life mission is relationships bring people into the church. That's what it's all about. 
Um, you know, she talks about programs and ministry are just tools to accomplish the goals. And that's what we've been stuck in the past focusing on is focusing on programming and ministry. But really, it's about the relationship and the people are going to bring people to church. So you have to give them avenues to build and make those relationships. Yeah, one of the adages at, at our church, you've heard me say, Molly, um, and I stole it from from the chapel, uh, from Ann and Jay, is that people come to church looking for connection. Either people know people and they want to know God, or people know God and they want to know people. Yeah. But either way, the church the church's mission is to foster and facilitate connection and relationships. And for too long, we have just thought throwing programs at people was the way to do that. So yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful point she'll touch on and highlight. Yes. So I hope everyone enjoys this interview with Anne and please let us know your thoughts over on social media. Um, follow uh, faithrevisitedpodcast.com for show notes and leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere you listen. Enjoy the interview. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, this episode of the Faith Revisited podcast. We are very excited to have an interview um, with uh, my very good friend and just wonderfully talented uh, church leader, Anne Bosarge. Anne, introduce yourself and let our audience know who you are. Absolutely, Ben. I'm excited to be here. So my name is Ann Bosarge. I work as the multi-campus director for the Chapel Ministries. We are a multi-site um, congregation. We have two congregations in Brunswick, Georgia, and then we have one in Rinkin, which is just a little bit north of Savannah. So, um, so that's my job, just making sure that all three of our uh, campuses are moving forward in the same direction in alignment with each other. And then I also have another part of my job, which is working with the Office of Congregational Development at our conference, the South Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church. So in that role, I do a lot of consulting and working with churches and church leaders and laity and all kinds of good leadership development. You do some incredible work. Before we get to the conference stuff, which is kind of where I want to focus the majority of our time, for a traditional church person, when you say multi-site director, that, that's like a foreign language. Tell us, what, what does that mean? What does a normal week look like for you at the chapel? So a multi-site, as the multi-site director, basically what I'm responsible for the systems that run our congregations and to make sure that all of those are working in harmony in the same direction toward our, toward our purpose, which is people becoming more like Jesus for the benefit of others. Um, so that really involves making sure that there is alignment with the way that we, um, that we do our volunteers, that we care for them, that we onboard them. There's alignment in the way that we do our sermon plan and our programming, um, that we are making the best use of our resources and, um, and getting kind of that economy of scale that is the, one of the big advantages of being a part of a multi-site church. So that term scale is one of my new favorite terms. Can you speak just a little bit? You and I geek out a little bit on this, but, but for the average like person who's never heard what does scale mean in terms of uh, church and church growth, 
speak a little bit to that. Sure. So the important thing about scale is scale is the ability to continue to grow exponentially. So, um, so, and the reason that we need to pay attention to that in terms of the church is the ability to scale indicates um, a level of health that contributes to growth. So it's not just scaling is not just growing for growing sake to get more numbers, to get more, um, to get more people in the pews, so to speak. But, but the ability to scale indicates that there is a level of foundational health and, um, and spiritual development happening in that congregation that allows them to grow exponentially. Um, more than just um, simple addition of people, but the right systems in place that will help to facilitate growth and life and health. So that's a good segue, I think, Ann, into your other job, which is doing a lot of consulting work for um, largely a lot of established churches or traditional churches, whatever term you want to say, a church that's not a church plant in the last 20 years, say. What do you see as when you walk into these churches, um, what are some of the biggest struggles like that you notice first that, that they're facing? What are some of the biggest dysfunctions? What are they asking of you when you, like the moment you arrive, and can you help us with this? What, what, what do you see? Yeah, I think that one of the things that I see the most prevalently is uh, churches who are in declining areas where they um, where they might find themselves in a downtown context that they are separated from their immediate community or they are declining in terms of attendance and they don't know why their young people aren't there. They want more children. They want more youth. They want more young adults. Um, and typically when I come in, what they want are answers. Um, they want me to give them the answer to their problem so they can do it so they can solve their problem so they can, see addition in the number of members that they have or the number of people that they have coming on a Sunday morning or the number of children's ministry, um, you know, people they have in children's ministry. Um, and so they really do, for the most part, want that quick fix. They want that answer that's going to take care of it. Um, and for the most part, it really is numbers and attendance and engagement um, that are in decline. You know, it's fascinating because I'm a we, we, I mean, we have a church that's over 170 years old, um, and, and I've lived my life in traditional established churches, and I would even, you were friendly in what you said, because I would even push and say people from my context or similar context, not only do we want um, quick answers, why don't we have young people, why don't we have children, why don't we have whatever, what's underneath that is why don't we have young people and children like we did 30 years ago? Absolutely. Years ago. And how can we go back to that? Too often established churches don't want a vision for the future. They want to recapture something from their past. Absolutely. And they tend to, they tend to move in these cycles where they say, well, we haven't done that 10 years ago. This worked really well. 50 years ago, this worked really well. Let's try it again without realizing that their context has completely changed. Our society has completely changed. Our culture has completely changed. And one of the things that I think is a mindset that we, um, that I work on with churches is to begin to see 
programs and ministry as tools to accomplish your vision and your mission. The, the church was not created and established to do ministries. That was, that's not the purpose of the church. And so often, I think particularly established churches get into the mindset that the purpose of the church is to do all of these ministries. And these ministries are the things that are to bring people into the life of the church. When really what it is, is relationships bring people into the life of the church. It's not ministries. So the reason that those ministries worked so well 50 years ago is because they were facilitating relationships. Well, the way that we facilitate relationships today works differently in our context and in our climate and our culture than it did 50 years ago. 50 years ago, our society was much different in the way that they that people connected to each other. And so we've got to say, hey, what was effective about the way that we created relationships 50 years ago? How can we contextualize that today and do something new and do something different while still maintaining the importance um, on relationships. I think that's really good. One of the things that that I um, talk about in, in, in our church and I believe about traditional churches um, is I think established traditional churches, um, this is a great kind of teetering point of, you know, between shedding the past and looking to the future, but, you know, really living into what it means to be a 21st century church. And we're built to be mid 20th century churches, largely. The the underlying disease that we all struggle with is, a, I think, is a crisis of imagination. Mm. Churches struggle with the imagination to say, what is the new thing? Not just what's the thing that can help this work. What's the thing we've never tried before? And, you know, faithfully, could we, could we try it and fail at it? Could we, could we try it and, and see what happens? How do you, when you're dealing with a church who says we want more people in our pews, how do you help them open their imagination? Well, I think the first thing is to uncover what is keeping them from using their imagination. Because you can talk to people about um, reigniting a sense of wonder, reigniting a sense of curiosity and imagination. But I think until they deal with some underlying mindsets and issues, um, they are not even going to have the capacity to, you know, to move forward in that. Um, And I think really the biggest hindrance to us reigniting this sense of wonder and imagination and possibility is our own fear. Mm. Um, What has happened to many churches is that, especially churches that have had some level of success in the past and then have experienced a level, a certain level of decline, is that they, um, they have more to lose now. So they have bigger buildings because they've done expansion programs. They have more people and they are reliant upon the financial resources that those people provide. And so if you do something risky, if you do, if you change something and reignite this sense of passion and wonder and imagination, inevitably someone's not going to like that change. And so there's so much more to lose um, than there used to be whenever they were starting out. And, and when there's so much more to lose, then you move into it, the opposite of imagination and wonder. You move into protection. And, and that fear ends up driving what you 
see yourself as capable of doing. And so I think the first step really in moving toward a sense of imagination and, um, and wonder is just to recognize how is, how is our church and our programs being driven by fear? Um, how is that kind of an underlying determinant of what we are, what we think and see ourselves as capable of doing. Um, And when we identify that, hey, we're afraid of losing resources. We're afraid of losing people. We're afraid of losing money. Let's just put those fears at the foot of the cross and realize that God is a God that he says, nothing is impossible for me. Um, He is a God that tells us not to be afraid because he is the one that is in control. And, and I think until we surrender that it's going to be really hard for us to ignite that, that sense of imagination. That's really good. It, 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 what you're saying reminds me of one of my favorite quotes, the, um, the great author, Frederick Buechner. Um, he, he's is part of a longer piece that he's kind of writing in the voice of God speaking to us. And Buechner writes that it's as though God says, here is the world. Good and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I mean, that's about as true a statement of life as, as there is. And our churches just hold so tightly. I think you're right, out of fear, fear of a number of things. So uh, I, I, say I'm your average, ordinary, traditional church person, and, I, and I'm hearing all of this from you, and I'm saying, you know, Ann, that's beautiful, that's wonderful, but the chapel's a church plant. You guys can write this in your DNA. Y'all have been around 20 years. You've had the same pastor for 20 years. Not everybody has Jay Hansen as a leader, all this other stuff. What do you say in response to that? How, how can my average, ordinary, traditional church hear this? Yeah, I, that is something that we get a lot, and I appreciate you you asking that. You know what's so funny is my typical response is actually to do something with the groups that I'm working with. So one of the things that I love to do, either at some point in the time that I'm working with them, is just ask them to go and find a different seat in the room, mm. and and I make everybody get up and change, and. And, and it's so interesting to me and so revealing in the, the minute that I ask somebody to change just the seat that they've only, maybe they've only been sitting there for 10 minutes. All of a sudden, they're like, no, why? Why do I need to change this seat? Why do I have to find something new? And, and my point in that is saying, look, it does not take very much time. It does not take 200 years. It doesn't take 176 years for us to get stuck in where we are and to get comfortable. We are people people that are drawn to comfort. And so you can have these same issues in a church that is two years old, in a church that's 200 years old, and a church that's 20 years old. So this is not, um, being stuck is not an age thing when it comes to the age of your church. Being stuck is a people thing. And, and there's no set age of the organization that all of a sudden reaches this level of stuckness. You can be stuck in last year um, as a church. You can be stuck in, you know, 10 years ago as a church. You can be stuck 100 years ago as a church. Um, That's a people thing because we are drawn to protect our comfort. And we are, many of us are are just naturally change avoidant or change resistant. Um, So it doesn't matter who you are. You have the capability and the ability to be stuck just because of our desire as people to be to have things that are known to us and comfortable to us and um, and to protect that 
You know, it's funny. I, I remember one of, uh, I had an experience a couple of years ago. We, our conference does this event called Pathways, you know, and, and, and you've taught at it and I've, I've taught at it. And I, I, I often will teach something on sort of bridging this gap between traditional churches and new ideas and all this other stuff. And I remember I, I was doing a, 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 basically on that theme, how's the traditional church do things in new ways? And, and I think I quoted Andy Stanley, I quoted Adam Hamilton, I quoted two or three or four, and I had somebody in the back of the room so upset with me, and she raised her hand and she said, you said that you're here to help traditional churches and all you're doing is quoting church plant people. I'm like, yeah, we could learn something. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think that it's important for it's important for me to understand what's going on in those kinds of situations, because um, whenever we are talking to people about change and new things and new ways of thinking and new strategies, their brain is literally going into fight or flight. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, and so they're deciding, am I going to sit back here with my hands crossed and discount everything that she is saying and just kind of remove myself, which would be, um, which would be this kind of flight. Uh, You know, this doesn't apply to me. It doesn't have anything to do with, with my context. She just doesn't know. Or they go into this fight mode where all of a sudden they start trying to justify and defend the way that they've done things and and the way that things are. Um, And what, I have found is that if I'm able to help people recognize that tendency in themselves, we all do it. I mean, I do it too. When my, when my mindsets and the ways that I'm used to operating are questioned, I hit that fight or flight mode too. But I think the thing that takes us out of fight or flight and moves us into a space where we can learn and grow is simply curiosity. Yes. If we can just take a pause, take a breath, take a break, and say, hey, there might be something here that I can learn from. What might this person be saying that that actually could apply to my situation? If I can be open-handed and be curious, that gives me the opportunity to take a breath and to move from this fixed mindset into this learner's um, mindset, this growth mindset, and it allows me to actually see how our situations may be more similar than they are different. Yeah, and I think one of the things that churches have to do, and, and we've done a really poor job of by and large, is just making curiosity a part of the spiritual journey in general. We, we, we tend to, ha- you know, confirmation happens and, you know, we go through the motions, Bible studies, but we, we want people to affirm what we already think. We want people to affirm our, 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 our predispositions that we already have. And, and being curious and learning and that open-handedness that you said and the willingness to be vulnerable and say, I don't really have all the answers, but I sure do want to try to see if I can collect them all. Um, it, it comes into change because what you're doing in that fight or flight is you're revealing the same place that has all this fear is also riddled with um, insecurity. And so we don't like when church planters, because we're already insecure that you all are doing it better than us. And so we think, well, you know, we don't like them. They're stealing people and they, you know, they cheat because they got a big church and all the glitz and the glam and whatever. And, and just to stop and say, I'm different. You know, I'm not a church plant person, but 
you know, maybe there's a common language we can find with one another. Um, you know, you are one of my favorite conversation partners and, and the lead pastor there at the chapel, Jay Hanson. And I, was, I mean, we, we're very close friends and we couldn't be more different in the context that we serve. Um, but man, if you just get to talking enough, you can, you can kind of, you know, take ideas and run it through a filter that fits your context. But that's, that, that, I like that point about open-handedness. It's hard to do that. Yeah. And I think that, I think that creativity and curiosity and a sense of wonder, if that can become your operating system, so to speak, then you can build on that in a variety of different ways. Um, and I think that that is what is, um, that's always what's so encouraging to me about having conversations with you and with other leaders who have that sense of open-handedness, um, because that is the thing that we, that we share, is that, that sense that hey, there are things out there that I don't know. There are things out there that I've never realized or thought about. And, and if I can pursue that, if I can, um, can lean into the things that I don't know instead of the things that I do know, then I may be able to find something that works well in my context because here's another mindset that I think is so important to this conversation is that churches are not in competition with one another. Right. Um, it's not, you know, the traditional versus the contemporary. It's not my church versus your church. It's we are building the kingdom together and you're doing that in a unique way. I'm doing that in a unique way. You know, other churches are doing that in unique ways and good heavens, if we can't celebrate that, then I think we're really missing out on a big significant piece that, that Christ, um, instilled in all of us. I think that's absolutely right. The um, to not see the church down the street as your competitor, but as a potential missional partner, is to have the security to say, "You do you, and I do me," and and hopefully we do those two things very well um, to the best of our ability. But but I don't, you know, I, I think about that. I could point at churches. I'm not going to name on this podcast, but 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 I was talking to a friend the other day that there are uh, communities around our annual conference, the, the, some of the larger um, towns, I guess, small cities in South Georgia, because we don't have large metropolitan areas. So in a lot of the, the smaller cities, there'll be like two large established churches. And the funny thing is, it, it, I pointed at two examples to this friend, and I said, if you go back in those two churches' histories, just in the last 50 years, their very best years of ministry correlated when they were healthy at the same time. Mm -hmm. And if, but if you ask the church members, when are you, you know, what, what's your biggest threat? Well, such and such up the street, you know, cause we're so similar to them and, and they're going to steal our people. But what they don't realize is their history actually shows our best years were when both of us were thriving. We need each other to be thriving in other words. So it's, it's fascinating. Um, that <laughs> we're so wrong about our neighbors in that way. I wanted to ask you, Anne, I'm curious, not that I want you to pick on churches, um, but when you go into a church and consult an established church, what are the, are there two or three like immediate things that not that they say is wrong, but that you sort of assess maybe underneath what they're saying or, you know, sideways to what they're saying. Like they'll say, well, we need more people in the pews, but you say, mm, this is actually what's going on here. Like what are a couple of the early assessments that you tend to make um, that are common? Yeah. 
Um, one of the things that I see um, first and foremost is just they have they have kind of turned from an outward mindset that you know at some point at some point that church began whether it was a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago that church began probably with the idea to look outward into the community and plant a church to meet the needs of the community and typically what I see is that when the fear begins to take over and this um, this drive to protect the things that they have they they naturally turn inward and so one of the things that I try to do is reconnect them to the DNA that they had when they first started um, what was it about this community that made you plant here whether it was 50 years ago or 150 years ago what was it that connected you with that community so I see very much an inward focus and they have just absolutely forgotten the mission of the church in the community um, and they've they've lost the sense of urgency um, and I think that comes from when we turn inward most of the time the people that we are around the people that we care about the people that we impact are people that are already in the church and so we don't have a sense of urgency to reach out to that person in a way that we would to reach out to unchurched people yet when we are a church for the community and we have regularly unchurched people that are coming into our churches, we sense that sense of urgency. Like this person is um, doesn't know Jesus and we don't know how long they have left there. We, we see them struggling. We see them hurting. And so we know that Jesus is the answer. So we have the sense of urgency to reach out to that person, um, not just to wait until that person comes around and notices we're here and that kind of thing, but we go out to the community to get those people. So I think the sense of urgency is something that that I definitely have seen. Um, I think that in addition to fear, which is another thing that you kind of go in and you you figure out where where are their fears operating under the surface. I think that's one of the first things. But another thing is um, they also have this sense of um, of not enough that there's never enough this, there's never enough that. And that is the reason that we are unable to do what we need to do. Well, we could have a great children's ministry if we had more young people, or we could have a great this if we had more money. We could have a great facility if we could fix it up and renovate, whatever it is. And so there's this mindset of limitations. And and really, one of the interesting things that I think I've discovered about creativity, um, and I wrote a lot about this in my, in my book, Get Out of That Box, is the fact that creativity actually happens. It blossoms and it blooms when you have limitations but you are faced with the determination to continue, that your goal is bigger than your limitation, that what you hope to accomplish is more important to you than the fact that you don't have everything that you perceive that you need in order to get it done. And I think that God uses limitations in order to force us to be creative. He has given us everything that we need to do the work that he has called us to do. Yet, a lot of times churches say, well, you know, we can't move forward with this because we don't have all the resources, all the money, all the equipment, all the time, all the people, all of the, these things. When in fact, I think what God is saying is, hey, but I've given you this. 
and I've given you this many resources and this many people, and I've still given you a job to do in this community. So how can you get creative and do something that nobody in your community is doing with the resources that I have given you? Um, and I think if people, if churches would be able to see their limitations as um, starting places for creativity and kind of springboards for creativity, okay, here's what we have. Now let's ask God what we can do with the things that we have been given in order with a sense of urgency to reach the people that he's called us to reach. We would see so many more um, beautiful, creative programs and ministries that would be bringing in people just in droves. But too often there's a sense of excuse that, well, I don't have all of the resources that I need. And so I'm going to wait until I get those. And sometimes we wait for 50 years. Um, because we're waiting for something that, that God is not going to give us. Yeah. I especially love that, that idea that you have about tapping into who you are. And that's kind of even, you know, rather than trying to recapture the past, what is it in the past that can help shape our future? Um, I I said in in my church here at Trinity and nobody here probably remembers this. um, My first sermon. So Trinity is a mother church, meaning that we're the first Methodist church in Savannah and we gave birth to like, I don't know, seven, eight, 10, different churches uh, throughout our history. And I've actually served two mother churches. I served a mother church over in Macon and I served this. So this idea of being serving a historic mother church um, is familiar to me. And so in my first sermon, I said this, that, that, that a mother being the mother church is more than just a statement about your past, but it needs to be a statement towards your future reality who better to launch new things and give birth to new ideas than the mother church. Um, We don't have to let the newest churches in town have the newest and, and freshest ideas. We are the church that started church planting and started new ideas and we can recapture that. Um, People don't remember that statement, but we continue to push a culture of innovation that, we're a historic church. We can do things a little bit differently. We can try something in new ways. Um, so I think that's absolutely a good thing for churches to hear. If you're listening and you're a church leader, um, what is it in the past that maybe you're even trying to recapture, but reframe it a little bit to say, we can't go backwards, but how could that help us move forward into something new? How could we do this in a, a new way with eyes that look, uh, toward the future even. Um, So we're getting to the end of our interview. And before I want you to promote your book, um, I did not tell you about this beforehand, but I love to play a game with guests that we call our lightning round. And you get three questions and you're not allowed to take more than say 15 seconds per answer. Okay. You're going to do this great because whenever I interview like clergy, they want to talk forever, but you're, you're going to nail this. Okay. So are you ready for our lightning round? I'm glad you have so much confidence in me. Okay, ready. All right. Lightning round question number one. Beach, mountains, or other favorite place to vacation? Mountains. Because we live near the beach. Got to have the mountains. Okay. So mountains person. All right. Uh, Question number two. Um, If you could be anything else in the world for your vocation, so you're not doing this wonderful ministry and dual thing with the conference and the chapel, but if Anne could grow up and be something else, what would you have been? I, well, I was a teacher, so I would go back to being a teacher. 
Okay. All right. Go back to me. That's a very admirable answer. Um, number three, question number three, you are a lover of games. For those who don't know, Anne, if you ever do consulting with her, you will play no short of six games in the course of your consultation. Correct. What is your all-time favorite game? It is a game called Electric Hands. Electric Hands. All right, tell and us about it. You should Google this thing because it is absolutely phenomenal. You basically have two lines of people that face each other and they hold hands. You've got one person um, who is the game leader that is simply flipping a coin. And if the coin lands on heads, they have to pass the squeeze with their hands down the row. And then the first row to complete the, the circuit, the electrical circuit, um, grabs some sort of eye Item. My favorite is a rubber chicken that is down at the end of kind of the row. And then you move forward in the line and keep track of points that way. I've played it with kids. I've played it with 80-year-olds. Everybody loves it. And it is my favorite game. I have played this game, and I have seen clergy almost punch each other across those lines to grab the, the rubber chicken or whatever it was we were grabbing. And I can tell you, I, I, I'm That's lucky. right. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I'm lame. I'm not the biggest fan of games. I'll admit it. Uh, my wife gets on to me all the time, but this game is really fun. I mean, you really get into <laughs> electric hands. That's really good. That's a good game. And tell us about your book real quick. Where can we find it? How can uh, listeners purchase it and, and help jumpstart ministries in their church? All right. So you can find it online at Cokesbury. You can find it at marketsquarebooks.com, but you can also find it um, on everybody's favorite store online, which is amazon.com. And, um, and one of the inter the great things I love about my book is because I love activities and I love practical expressions of that. Um, there are lots of, I think 52, as a matter of fact, kind of practice this activities that are throughout the book. So if you're a ministry leader and you're trying to figure out, well, how do I create? How do I become innovative? How do I create a culture of innovation? Um, then I invite you to get that book, get out of that box and, um, and take advantage of some of those practice this opportunities um, because you can read a little bit and then do something with your staff and, um, and really learn and practice how to be innovative, collaborative and creative. So, um, and the other thing that I have available for you guys is you can go to the book's landing site, the webpage of the book, which is getoutofthatbox.com. And on that page, once again, you can purchase it there, but you can also download a team discussion guide that you can use if you would like to kind of purchase a, a few of these books and go through them with your leadership committee or your church council or whatever it is that your board of elders and you guys can have um, different discussions that are going on using that team discussion guide and that's just a free download on getoutofthatbox.com so I'd love to see you guys there and I'd love to hear back from you how that um, how that resource and the the different things in there are encouraging you guys, encouraging you guys to be creative outstanding and we'll have all of these links in the show notes of the episode so don't worry if you're listening uh, we'll be sure to direct you to uh, all these wonderful places to engage with some great material that ann has authored and thought up and to help churches of all shapes and sizes so ann thank you so much for your time today absolutely thank you this was a great conversation 
All righty. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith Revisited podcast. We'll see you next time.